passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Today, we're going to start a short two-week study on the book of Philemon. And this book is all about something that is in really short supply in our culture today. It's called forgiveness. Now, forgiveness, it, it used to be considered a virtue. Now it's actually sort of considered a vice. Uh, look at our movies. Who are the heroes of our movies? Are they the people that offer revenge? Or are they people that offer forgiveness? Excuse me, I'm backwards there. Or are they the people that take revenge? Anybody remember Rambo? He drew first blood. It's about revenge. How about Braveheart? William Wallace. And what they did to his wife, and then after that, it became all about revenge, not forgiveness. The nightly news, when we look at that, that's one story of revenge after another story of revenge, isn't it? For instance, look at the stuff in the Middle East. What is that? It's uh, one nation constantly taking revenge against another nation. It's one nation lobbing a rocket over the, the border to the other side. doesn't matter who it hits. doesn't matter who it kills. It's revenge. Not forgiveness. In fact, maybe you probably saw um, that re revenge crimes are actually on the rise right now. Probably the most famous one that's in the news is about the 28-year-old man in Kansas that was killed. Did you hear about this? Where the SWAT team got called to, was called to his house, and it was a fake SWAT call. And the police used deadly force because they thought it was a life-or-death situation. It turned out to all be a hoax. The guy lost his life. You know what was the root of the cause? One guy had lost $1.50 when playing a Call of Duty video game online, and he wanted to get revenge. And a guy ended up losing his life. We live in a revenge culture. How many times do you ever see, or see on the news where somebody says, I was sorry, or please forgive me, or I shouldn't have said what I said? Never hear that nowadays. It's just, you know, attacking one another and getting revenge for what somebody has done. But as Christians, folks, we're to be totally, completely different. As Christians, we are to be people that are opposite of our culture. Our culture calls for revenge. Our Savior calls for forgiveness. Let me say it this way. We have been lavishly forgiven by our Savior. And God called us to be lavishly forgiving to other people. We have been lavishly forgiven by our Savior. God calls us to be lavishly forgiving to other people. After Jesus Christ, one of our primary calling cards is that we're forgiving people of one another. Now, um, in fact, look what the scriptures say about forgiveness. I have these in your outline. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, 14 through 15. But if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is like a non-negotiable thing for us as Christians. There's just no way out of it. The world doesn't understand that, but we understand that. And look at the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus tells us the Lord's Prayer, it's implied in the Lord's Prayer that we will be forgiving even before we seek God's forgiveness. And forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And Paul, in the book of Ephesians, when he talks about forgiveness, he says that Christian forgiveness is not just something we do and then we withhold our love and we withhold our care and we withhold our sympathies for other people, but we forgive and then as part of that forgiveness, we still care and love for the people that we've forgiven. Look at this. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is so crucial to the Christian life, yet in our culture, revenge is the way of life. We're on total opposites on this. Now, forgiveness is such an important part of our daily life as Christians. I want to take a few minutes just to look at how a lack of forgiveness affects us and our, and our just, just our daily life and who we are if we choose not to forgive. Look at these in your outline. Why is forgiveness an essential part of the Christian life? Because refusing to forgive imprisons us in the past. Isn't this true? When you don't forgive somebody, it keeps the pain alive. You don't forgive somebody, it keeps the wound open. It doesn't allow the wound to heal. We don't forgive somebody, it constantly feeds feelings of anger, feeds feelings of resentment. When we don't forgive somebody, we may be living in the present, but as a person, we'll still living in the past. We can never move on to the future unless we forgive. The other thing is this. Refusing to forgive leads to bitterness. The longer we dwell on an offense and wound done to us, the more bitter we will become. There's just no way out of that. Bitterness, by the way, is not just sin. Bitterness is like an infection. And the point of that is what bitterness does is it spreads throughout all of our life and it can even spread into other people's lives. Because we start stewing on our anger we start thinking about that and marinating it, marinating it in the juices of our mind. And then bitterness doesn't just become what we start thinking about all the time, but doesn't our bitterness start to come out in our words towards other people? Doesn't bitterness start to become the daydreams of our lives? Instead of thinking about how we can help somebody, we're consumed with thoughts of how we can get even with somebody. Bitterness doesn't just take up our days and our idle thoughts of our mind, but doesn't it consume our nights? How many of us have lain in bed awake at night, constantly replaying the tape, constantly thinking of what we can do to get even? Bitterness consumes all those things. Look what the scriptures say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. The first thing that bitterness does when we allow it to take root in our soul by not forgiving one is it causes trouble. It does. It causes trouble in our lives. It causes trouble in our relationships with other people. It causes trouble in our work lives. It causes trouble everywhere. And it doesn't just stay with us. Notice he says this. And by it, many become defiled. Our bitterness starts to influence our spouse. You ever notice that? 
if you start to be a bitter person, it sort of starts to infect your relationship with your spouse. And maybe they start to become a bitter and sarcastic person. It influences our relationship with our children. The bitterness of who we are starts to influence the way our kids think and kids react to us. There's no way you can isolate that unforgiveness and bitterness. It will spread. Number three, refusing to forgive gives Satan an open door in our life. Now, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? It's a scary thought, but yet this is what the scriptures tell us. Look what it says. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The idea is the longer we hold on to our anger and it starts to turn into bitterness, it gives Satan more of an opportunity to start working in our lives. Satan will gain the most ground in our lives when we don't forgive and we start to become bitter. There's no way out of that. God was at his best when he completely forgave us through Jesus Christ. We're at our best when we forgive others like Jesus has forgiven us. Let me say that again. Wasn't God at his best when he forgave us completely through Jesus Christ? And we're at our best when we completely forgive others like Jesus has forgiven us. Refusing to forgive, it gives Satan a foothold. Look at this other verse. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake and in the presence of Christ. And why does he say this? So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. I forgive, he says, so Satan doesn't get his foot in the door. One more thing here. We've covered this briefly already. Refusing to forgive means we're unforgiven. That's a strong statement, yet it's what the Scripture says. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now let me explain this a little bit. So there was some misunderstanding after the first service when I read this text. What it's saying is that if you have been forgiven by Christ, there is no way for you to be unforgiving towards others. Is it hard? Oh, yeah. Is it difficult? I would agree. But to be a person that refuses to forgive for others, it ultimately indicates maybe you've never experienced what it means to be forgiven. It's a pretty strong stuff. Now, forgiveness is such an important part of life. And it's uh, something that we have to understand and apply. Something that the Holy Spirit and his wisdom of authoring the scriptures doesn't just talk about in principle. It doesn't just talk about in parable. But it's something that the Holy Spirit chose to give an entire book of the Bible to, to cover this subject. And that book of the Bible is the one we're going to study this morning, the book of Philemon. Philemon is the real-life story of difficult forgiveness between two of Paul's close friends. A man named Philemon, Philemon and his slave, a man named Onesimus. So this book is about what forgiveness looks like with real flesh on. 
Now, let me tell you some of the background of the book of Philemon, because until you understand this background, the significance of this book will remain hidden. You know, Paul, as we know, was under house arrest in the city of Rome. During that time, he wrote the letters of Colossians, he wrote Ephesians. These are called some of his prison epistles. And during that time also, we don't know exactly how, he crossed paths with a man named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was a man with a very interesting background. He was a runaway slave. The master that he had run away from was a man named Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy businessman in the city of Colossae, to where um, this letter of Colossians that we just studied was written. Now, what happened was as Onesimus spent time with Paul, he came to trust in Christ and become a Christian. Not only had Onesimus become a Christian through Paul, but here's the interesting backstory. We learned this in the first week we studied Colossians. Philemon had also become a Christian through Paul. Philemon is a wealthy businessman apparently had been traveling to the city of Ephesus where Paul had been preaching for three years. He heard the gospel from Paul, became a Christian, and actually developed a little bit of a close relationship with Paul. And he eventually went back home to his city of Colossae with a man named Epaphras, and the two of them started the church there. Epaphras was the pastor in the church of Colossae, and the church met in Philemon's home. Remember, he's the wealthy guy with the big house. Plenty of room for lots of people. So come on in and meet here. So that's the backstory on Philemon. But Onesimus, during that time, he wasn't a useful slave. He was actually sort of a useless slave. He was rebellious. He was difficult. And finally, in an act of rebellion, he ran from Philemon, his master, who, by the way, was a good master, ran from his master and headed to Rome to get as far away as he could to get lost in the crowds of people. Now, sometimes as we go through life, don't we have those it's a small, small world moments where we go someplace far away from Spirit Lake and we just happen to meet somebody from Spirit Lake or somebody from Esterville or somebody from Rock Rapids? You know, we have those small world moments. Well, this is a small world moment. Remember, Onesimus has traveled 1,800 miles to get away from Philemon. He's in the city of Rome, a city of approximately 800,000 people. And who does he run across and somehow cross paths with? Paul, the same one that led his master to Christ. And that's how Onesimus becomes a Christian. Now, there's some other things in this letter that imply some interesting things. Apparently, when Onesimus left home from Philemon, he didn't just leave, but he probably stole money when he left. This is not explicitly stated, but as we'll see in a few minutes, it's implicitly stated. After all, if you're Onesimus, how are you going to make an almost 2,000-mile journey if you're cashless? How are you going to set yourself up to survive in a city of Rome if you have no income? Most likely, he stole a significant amount of money from his master. To help you maybe connect with that feeling that Philemon now has towards Onesimus, picture it this way. 
Say you have a maid that cleans your house. She's been there and she's sort of part of the family a little bit. You trust her. One day you're working in your checkbook and you all of a sudden realize that the last check was torn out. You call up your bank and you check your balance and find out it's $20,000 short. That she took that last check, wrote it for cash, the bank cashed it, and she's gone with your money. How would you feel? Anybody ticked? That's how Philemon feels about Onesimus. Angry for what he's done. Now, in Colossians, which we studied in the last few weeks, one of the messages, which was, how does Jesus change our work world? I covered what slavery was like in the ancient world at this time. We learned that slavery, actually, brutal slavery that we're more familiar with from American history was definitely on the decline. Slaves were being emancipated at record rates, being set free. In fact, the Romans were even putting laws in place to curb the rate of emancipation of slaves. So this was a good time for slaves. But if you were a slave that rebelled, slave that have fought against your master or stole from your master, this was not a good time for you. Only a hundred years prior to this, there had been a major slave rebellion for the Romans. You guys ever heard of Spartacus? And Spartacus's rebellion? A number of slaves that at one time had swelled to 70,000 in number. A rebellion of slaves that actually at times had defeated some of the Roman legions. The Roman legions eventually were able to slowly destroy Spartacus and his army of slave soldiers. But they made sure that it would always be known that slaves should never rebel in the Roman Empire. It would never be tolerated. In fact, the last 6,000 slaves in Spartacus's army that surrendered to the Roman legions, they crucified every single one of them on a cross. So it was always remembered, slave rebellion would not be tolerated in the least. Slaves were crucified for lesser crimes than what Onesimus had just done. And if slaves were not crucified when they were recaptured, the other thing that history tells us is they were branded. They were branded on their heads with an F for fugitives. Sometimes an F and a C, meaning fugitive and criminal. So for the rest of their life, that's what would be seen by others. Also at that time, there were slave catchers that were employed by masters who had runaway slaves. If you're thinking Star Wars, remember the bounty hunters? Same thing. So Onesimus expected that Philemon had an award out on his head. And literally at this time, Onesimus' life hung in the balance. Philemon could literally control his life or his death. That is the backstory to what you have going on to this letter. Now let's go back to the main story. We know through unknown circumstances, Onesimus and Paul have crossed paths. We know that Onesimus has given his life to Jesus Christ. His life is completely changed. He's a new person. In fact, instead of just um, maybe hanging out a little bit with Paul, he actually stays with Paul in jail and constantly helps Paul. 
Just a great story of a turned around life for Jesus. But here's the problem. There's this lingering relationship problem in the background. What about Onesimus and Philemon, these two Christian brothers who are now at odds with one another? For Onesimus to go back to Philemon could mean the end of his life. How can these kind of relationships be restored? Well, the opportunity presented itself this way. We learned last week about the man named Tychicus, who was sort of Paul's personal mailman. Remember his trusted friend that he trusted to carry uh, the letter of Ephesians and the letter of Colossians to the, the churches in those cities? Well, Tychicus was taking the letter of Colossae that we just studied, or the letter of Colossians to the city of Colossae. We, and what he decided to do, Paul sent Onesimus along with Tychicus right to Philemon's house because the church met in his home. Now, I want you to picture how this unfolded. Tychicus and Onesimus showed up in Philemon's house on what had been a Sunday morning. Could you see the steam coming out of Philemon's ears? Can you see Onesimus sort of hiding behind Tychicus, using him as a human shield? And Tychicus says, well, first thing I have to do is I have to read a letter. It's a letter to the church from Paul. And he reads the letter of Colossians that we just studied for the last 12 weeks. And then when he's all done, he clears his throat again. <clears throat> I have another letter, just a short postcard. A postcard from the Apostle Paul, and it's to uh, you, Philemon. And it has to do with our mutual friend, Onesimus, that's with me here today. What I'd like you to do is I'd like to have you turn in your Bibles to the book of Philemon. If you're using the church Bibles, by the way, in the pew, it's page 1,000, right smack even. Stand with me. I'm going to read this letter. It is so small. We can do that today. But remember the background and picture it as you're reading this letter with me. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, one, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Now, I would have been glad to keep him with me 
in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me your very self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Well, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That ends the reading of God's word, and you may be seated. Knowing the background of that letter, doesn't that sort of help it come alive and you understand what's going on there? Let me just give you a little bit more background right here in your outline. To whom was the letter written? Paul says this, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, to Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Phia, our sister, and Achippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. First, we know who Philemon is. He is the wealthy Christian in Colossae who's become a Christian through Paul. The church meets in his house, and he's the guy with the big home. Who is Aphia? Most likely, Aphia is Philemon's wife. That's what's going on here. Who is Archippus? Most likely, Archippus is Philemon and Aphia's son. Because this is addressed to their family, is what we have going on. I want you to notice something. Archippus as a son, he's not home watching YouTube all the time. He's not. He's addressed as a fellow worker in the Lord. What does that mean? That Archippus is involved in church work. Most likely, Archippus is a pastor like Paul is a pastor. Where is Archippus involved? We don't know for sure, but many people think that he was one of the pastors in the neighboring church of Laodicea. If you've been around for a while, you know that uh, Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea are three sister cities that are almost identically located only 10 miles apart. So most likely Archippus is the uh, pastor in this neighboring city. Now, what I want to do is I study the rest of this. Uh, not the, I'm not going to study all the letter, excuse me. I'm going to study the next few 15 verses or so. What I want to do is I want to look at these verses through one particular lens, and that is the lens of forgiveness, because this is the way the, the book works. Paul starts out really talking in sort of a vague way 
about forgiveness and a vague way about restoring relationships. But if you've noticed when we read it, the further into the book it gets, the more specific Paul gets about this relationship with Onesimus and Philemon and that it needs to be restored. But in the beginning, he starts to talk in a, in a vague, sort of wise way. So what I want to do is I work through these first um, few verses. I want to look at some of the building blocks of forgiveness that he is hinting at along the way. They're not as explicit in the beginning, but they get more explicit along the way. So let's go ahead and jump in. Why do we forgive? Forgiveness is essential for Christian fellowship. It just is. Paul says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul says, Philemon, you know what? I just want to compliment you. I hear that you are one of these great Christian guys that doesn't just love Jesus, but you actually love people. You have love for all the saints. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Our love for Christ is supposed to flow into our relationships with other people, especially Christian people. And look what the scriptures say about these things. For instance, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Or 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It doesn't sound too hard until you realize that none of these verses are talking about loving the easy-to-love people, are they? The purpose of these verses is that some people are hard to love. Some people are wired a little differently than we are. And they're difficult to love. In fact, there's some people out there that maybe stole from us, that ran away from us, like Onesimus. Hard to love people. What Paul is saying here, he's implying, Philemon, you're a guy who really loves people in your church. <laughs> and your faith isn't just if your love for Christ, but it shows up in love for people. He's eventually going to start to say, you know, Show that love for Onesimus as well. One of the key distinctives of the church is that we don't just love Jesus, but we love one another. Right? Even the hard-to-love people among us who are wired a little differently than us. Some of us are old. Some of us are young. Some of us prefer one style of worship. Some of us prefer a different style of worship but yet we love one another. The next thing we learned about this is extending forgiveness is an essential part of Christian growth. There is just no way out of that. He says in verse 6, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So Paul is praying that the sharing of the faith would be effective for Philemon. This word effective literally means experienced. Paul prays that, for instance, that Philemon no longer just talks about God's forgiveness, but he goes through the experience of offering forgiveness. 
Because it's one thing to talk about forgiveness, isn't it? It's another thing to actually have to offer forgiveness. Because you understand forgiveness in a completely new way when you have to actually extend it. When you have to let the hurts go. And you understand maybe the incredible cost of the gospel and how much it hurts God to offer forgiveness when his son had to die on the cross for us, but he did it out of love for us. Think of it this way. Any one of us can talk about climbing Mount Everest. We can watch a Mount Everest climb on YouTube, right? It's a whole other thing to actually experience it. You know about climbing Mount Everest firsthand. And here's the thing that goes on. If you really want to understand forgiveness and you want to grow in your faith and understanding the Lord's forgiveness, the only way you can do that is by having to offer forgiveness yourself to others. Once you experience it, then you grow in understanding it. Now, let me just put a really sort of strange thought out there. Some of us wonder why God allows people in our life that maybe hurt us and cause anger and turmoil. And I can't always tell you the answer. But I do know this. Then we have to learn, when we forgive them like Christ has forgiven us, we grow in our understanding of forgiveness. We grow in our faith and in our maturity. Sometimes God may let some difficult times come into our life, not because he hates us, but it's all part of his plan to mature us. When you realize that, it sort of reframes difficulties, doesn't it? Let me give you another point. Forgiveness is a powerful encouragement to the church. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What he says this is, I have been so refreshed by you, Philemon. The way that you have been in the church, how you have refreshed people's hearts, how you've been kind to them, gracious and good to them, it doesn't just refresh them, but it's been refreshing to me. What Paul is making is this point. The church is not a bunch of individual relationships, is it? We're a bunch of interconnected relationships. And that when we encourage one another, that encouragement spreads to others. When we have a broken relationship with somebody in the church body, there is no way for that broken relationship to stay isolated. It'll infect other people in other relationships. It just works that way. Now, put this in context. Philemon and Onesimus. Broken relationship. Philemon has the rights to probably crucify him. Not crucify him, whip him. Brand him with a big F on his forehead for the rest of his life. But how will that affect the rest of the church body? It's going to discourage them. But it's also another opportunity for Philemon to forgive Onesimus, to lavishly Forgive Onesimus. How will that affect the church body? Incredible amount of encouragement as they see the gospel being lived out in Philemon's life. 
So the point is this. Forgiveness is a powerful encouragement to the church. It's a wonderful opportunity not to set a, to set a relationship straight, but to encourage the whole church body as you express the gospel. Now, as it goes on a little further, we find that Paul subtly moves here from not just talking about forgiveness and why it needs to be offered to how we can encourage forgiveness. He says this, don't command someone to forgive, but encourage it to come voluntarily from their heart. Paul says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is right, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Notice Paul does not command Philemon to forgive Onesimus. He appeals to him. Commanding him at this point would probably come off rather demeaning. Has Philemon done anything wrong at this point? Absolutely not. Philemon hasn't done anything. But what if, he comm- if Paul commands Philemon to forgive, here's what happens. Philemon may forgive on the outside, but he may not truly have forgiven on the inside. In the home that you grew up, did you ever have a fight with your brother or sister? Anybody here? And what does your mom say to you when she catches you fighting? You need to forgive him. You need to forgive. And what do you do? You sit there. I forgive you. You may have said it with your mouth, but you haven't said it in your heart. So forgiveness may have verbally been offered, but it's not truly taken place. And see, if Paul commands Philemon to forgive, forgiveness may be verbally offered, but it may not have truly taken place. So what he does is he appeals to him. Notice how he's talked before, Philemon? You're a great Christian guy. I love how you've been an encouragement to the church. I love your faith. I am praying for you. Now, keep living like who you actually are. You know the right thing to do. Just go do it. See how respectful that is of him? Now, we can apply this into all kinds of relationships, especially difficulties we have. Let's give you a sort of a fun one. This is a little bit off the top, but go easy with me. Um, men, how many of you have wives that tell you to take out the garbage? Okay, uh, I won't ask any more questions. This is probably going to go over well. But you know, there are two ways to tell your husband to take out the garbage, right? There's this way. Take out the garbage. And you may do it, sort of begrudgingly and not willingly, because you were commanded to do it. But there's another way to take out the garbage. When your wife comes up to you and says, you know, honey, I really appreciate how you really are so helpful around the house. Thank you so much for, you know, you just, you clean up, help me dry the dishes, you take out the garbage. It just makes me feel so loved and so appreciated. Could you take out the garbage for me tomorrow? I just appreciate it so much. And he goes, that makes you feel good? Sure, yeah, I'm happy to do that. And you're encouraged because what did she do? Rather than command you to do something, she appealed to you out of love. So the action didn't just take place externally, but it took place internally. By the way, there's going to be a lot of discussion about this after the sermon because about 90% of you are talking right now. So I just recognize that. 
you know, a lot of garbage discussions after this. All right. So, okay. Don't command someone to forgive. Encourage someone voluntarily from the heart, especially the garbage. Okay. Next point. Repentance encourages forgiveness. Just so you know. He says this. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Excuse me. Fold. Now it's not explicitly stated here, but I think it's implicitly stated Onesimus is very repentant for his sin. Why do I say that? If you knew your life hung in the balance, if you went back to your master, would you go back unless you were truly repentant? Unless you were truly trying to seek forgiveness? And Paul is saying, you know, Onesimus is a different guy. He's not the guy you knew. He's changed. He's repentant. Just so you know, if you're trying to work on a broken relationship, one of the best ways that you can encourage forgiveness and repentance is, is, one of the best ways you can encourage forgiveness is simply to use repentance. Say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I messed up. I shouldn't have said what I said, and I want to own that issue. That's my fault. Please forgive me. That is one of the fastest ways to make forgiveness work, isn't it? Go ahead and do that. Another thing to notice here. An advocate can encourage forgiveness. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. The only memories that Philemon has of Onesimus are bad memories. Remember, he's the problematic slave, always fighting the boss, finally run away from the master. So when Philemon sees Onesimus, he picks up right where the relationship left off, which was not a good place. Paul has different memories of Onesimus. He's repented. He's changed. He stays in prison with me to help me. He gives me what I need. This is a different guy. And what Paul does in this section is he functions as an advocate. You notice that? Sort of a go-between to get these two together. He says, you know, he's not the very guy you knew before. I love him. I'm sending my very heart. I would have been glad, he says, to keep him with me. You're probably glad to get rid of him. I'd be glad to keep him. He's different. Now, I just want to point this out. Whenever you are in a broken relationship, where there's forgiveness that needs to be sought, sometimes the relationship becomes so toxic and so poisoned, you need an advocate to help you get things together. I've seen this a number of times in marriage counseling, where what happens is, in the couples, all of a sudden, somebody loses what's called the judgment of charity. Instead of assuming what's being said by their spouse is to help them, it's always assumed that it's to hurt them, to demean them. And it's always assumed that what's being said is with an evil motive, not with a good motive. And the, you can't get through that filter unless you have an advocate in the middle. Where an advocate says, no, 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 I understand what they're saying. You're hearing them wrong. I think you're misunderstanding them wrong. 
I've talked with them. That's not what they mean at all. Trust me on this. So you see, when it comes to encouraging forgiveness, sometimes you need an advocate. Now, folks, just to tell you, if you're in a broken relationship situation and you need that advocate, you know, talk to your life group leader. Maybe they can be an advocate for you. Talk to a church elder. Maybe they can be an advocate. Talk to me. We have a, a, even a Christian counselor on staff that works at, uh, with us here at Crosswinds. Not on staff. Excuse me. Don't get that wrong way. But who works at Crosswinds. Um, and you can use that Christian counselor as somebody to be an advocate in the middle to try and get that forgiveness working. Last thing I want to point out is this. Understanding God's providence in situations can encourage forgiveness. Notice what Paul says here. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Now, you don't see this very clearly, but let me explain to you what's going on here. Paul is reaching back into the mystery of God's providence. What that means is God can take evil things that have been done to us and evil things that have been done by us and use them in part of his good plan to extend God's grace into our lives. The classic example of this is Joseph in the Old Testament of Genesis. Remember when we studied through the book of Genesis? We learned about Joseph, where Joseph's brothers, they lied about him, they, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, completely sinned against him. Joseph is doing the right thing, and Mrs. Potiphar accused him of rape. He ended up in the... <laughs> in the dungeon once again. But yet he was in just the right place that God wanted him to be. For in one day, to take him from the dungeon to the throne room. You see, the sin done against Joseph could not foil God's plans for Joseph. In God's providence, he could use those things for a good purpose. And this is what Paul's saying. You know, Philemon ran from you. Philemon stole from you. That's, that's wrong. It's, it's evil that is done by him. But maybe this is all part of God's good plan. Because he wanted to run to Rome. Where I was in Rome. I could explain the gospel to him. And that I could also help restore a relationship between you two. Maybe even though this started as a bad thing, Maybe God's really up to a good thing. And here's the neat part. Where were we when God found us? Were we at the high point of our life? Or were we at the low point of our life when God extended his grace into our lives? Not only did God extend his grace, but isn't it true that God oftentimes protected us from the consequences of our sin in those moments? Paul is saying to Philemon, you know, no longer do you have a slave. You have a brother. God may have even used his sin of running away from you as part of the plan to extend God's grace to him. And just as God oftentimes protects us from our consequences, maybe it's time for you to protect him from his consequences as well. Now, what will happen with Philemon? What will happen? Will Philemon forgive Onesimus or will he brand him with a big F on his forehead for the rest of his life? If he forgives him, will he forgive him a little bit 
or will he forgive him in a big way and really even actually bless him? What will happen with Onesimus, a man who was formerly useless, who had now started to become useful? How useful would he actually become later on in church history? These are the questions we're going to answer next week as we finish the story of Philemon, a story of lavish forgiveness, forgiveness that is like the kind of forgiveness that is offered to us through Jesus Christ. Forgiveness that changes lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for not making us people of revenge like the world, but making us people of forgiveness. That as you have been so incredibly kind to forgive us lavishly and completely and bless us even in the midst of our sinful rebellion against you, I pray that we also would be people who forgive those who hurt us. We would forgive them lavishly, freely, generously, and they would even bless them when most other people would hurt them. I thank you, Jesus, for your sovereignty, how you can even use the sin that is done by us and the sin that has been done to us as part of your good plan to bring us to grace. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people who extend forgiveness no matter how difficult it may be. And as we extend forgiveness, we grow in our understanding of forgiveness and the great cost of saving us and loving us. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.